Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the podcast brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Philippa Sturt, who's on board and helping the cause of bringing the fascinating business stories of Ori Clark's clients to a wider audience with this podcast. And a quick reminder, sorry, if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you listen to your podcasts on. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, that all being said, uh, amazingly, hello, Pippa, Philippa. Hi, Andy. Who's our guest today? And what are we going to be talking about? Well, Andy, today's guest is our good friend, Stu McKinley, the founder and director of Yeasty Boys Beer. After working in public health for 15 years, Stu thought it was time for a career change in 2008, and he kick-started Yeasty Boys, originally in New Zealand and Australia, and then in the UK in 2015. Yeasty Boys has now become what he and the team like to call the world's smallest multinational brewing deliciously irreverent beer. We're in very good company, Andy. Stu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So, Stu, what's keeping you busy at the moment? My kids, especially, uh, trying to run a business and look after three teenage boys while my wife is in New Zealand for three months. Uh, And not only am I missing her, like, you know, co-parenting skills, she's also uh, runs the business with me as well. So, No way, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, so we're trying to run that sort of either end of the day together. and, uh, And how old are the kids? They're 15, 14, and 12. So we had three kids under three just as we started this business. So it was an interesting time. Keeps you busy. Yeah, that's a little bit uh, punchy. So how are you splitting your day then? Which bits of kids, which bits work? It's uh, usually a little bit of work in the morning for an hour or two and then, uh, you know, get the kids all wrangled for school and off to school. And then uh, I get a bit of time in the middle of the day with them not around, which is really nice. How the hell did your wife negotiate three months? Do you get three months? Not yet, but, um, you know, when I look at it, I probably have spent much more than that over the last five years travelling around the world, drinking and eating. So yeah, that's okay. probably fair enough. That you've got it on your record. Down. What's your wife's name? Fritha. Fritha, you've got what an unusual name. Fritha, you've got it on record. Is that a New Zealand name, was it? Sounds sort of Icelandic or, yeah, Middle English or Old something like Norse. that. Yeah, her full name is Fritha Bergen and she's blonde, so she does look Scandinavian or Nordic. Uh, Fritha comes from actually sort of like the Essex Marshes or... Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Well, it's from a book that her parents read a long time ago called The Snow Goose by Paul Calico. Oh, okay. So how did you get into this in the first place? What was your first proper job? And how did this end up with a beer business? I was very into sport and I sort of like saw a future of, you know, me playing sport. Around about 18, I was kind of like looking at the potential of trying to get a scholarship to the US for golf. But I was really, really into amateur golf, match play golf. And they it's very different from how you play professional golf. Um, and so there's no money in you know, playing the kind of golf that I really liked, which was one-on-one, you know, rather than playing against the whole field and just the best score wins. Right, so two of you going round. You're just two of you playing against each other and it's a real kind of game of, you know, a battle of the wills and, yeah, yeah. Um, And you could, like, have an eight on one hole and the other person would get a three and it wouldn't matter that you got the eight because you just win the hole or you don't. So I kind of, like, decided then and there that, you know, it wasn't the style of golf that I wanted to play to become a professional. And also I had a couple of friends who were really, really good. You know, like uh, one of my best friends was like fourth in the world amateur champs. Oh, my God. You know, like yeah. beating Tiger Woods in that tournament. And, you know, I thought 
not many people are going to make it. He might make it. I won't. You know, like I might. I could like be a journeyman maybe or a club professional or something. And I didn't doesn't really, really want help to do with that. the imposter syndrome when you know someone like that. No, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I decided to just go to university in New Zealand and kind of follow a normal sort of path. So, I did a commerce degree, specialised in sort of decision analysis, so management stuff around. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa! Decision analysis. Yeah. How to make a decision. Yeah. So uh, the the lots you know, of people could benefit from that. Well, it was our previous discussions how to make a decision. How do you make yeah, a decision? Yeah, and the scientific side of it especially. So, um, so that then ended up leading to, um, or during university, I worked in a bank uh, for a while. You know, like just to pay all my bills and everything, because I went flatting. You know, living in a, a sort of rental place pretty early on. Even though my university was close to where I lived, I wanted to get out of my parents' here because they were. I was the fifth kid and, oh. um, you know, they were ready to like, <laughs> they were definitely ready to to relax. Um, so I moved out. I was the last one you to move the out of the house. Yeah. Okay. Um, All boys. No, it was boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. Yeah. So. Um, Gosh, your parents are so organised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My dad thought he'd had a vasectomy, but yeah, he must <laughs> have been. Happens. Yeah, yeah. It happens. So, um, yeah, so I went to university, moved out, went to university, had this banking job, which is really great. You know, like all of a sudden I was like, earning kind of like way more than all your friends who were working in shops and pubs and things like that. Um, went through university, ended up working for a couple of years at the bank when I finished. I didn't really like it, but it was kind of like easy and funded travel stuff, and things like you? that. Yeah. yeah. And then um, an opportunity came up for a redundancy, which I decided to take. And that was great because it paid off my student loan, funded a bit of travel, you know, bought myself like, you know, a few things as well and didn't save any of it, of course. You know, just had a good time as you do as, as a youngster. And that summer, I sort of thought I'd take some time off. And I went along with one of my friends to like um, a sort of you know, a, a weigh-in day or a, like a height day stuff for Lord of the Rings to be an extra. And I just went like just to like sit and watch him do his thing because he was really into the books. And so he wanted to just be in the background of the movie That's somewhere. That's so cool. Anyway, oh, as these things happen, someone kind of like hassled me into like getting all measured up and everything. And then they said, have you ever done any martial arts? And I said, yeah, I did a judo as a kid. And they're like, oh, we need you. So like suddenly I'm on the books. It's like, you know, Back, background three. background yeah. stunts, yeah. So I ended up being a, a Yurikai, yeah, a Rohan oh, no. warrior, uh, a okay. wild man, an orc. Oh, so you were on both sides, Uruk-hai. An elf, an elf. I was the skinniest Uruk-hai and, and the fattest elf, yeah. So, nice. Um, that's so cool. That's, and that was an Sorry, interesting I'm summer. massively geeking out now, but that's really cool. So I ended up doing that for about three months one summer. It was really great. Working like 6pm mm. to 6am. And really getting getting the um, kind of like the view of like how worth it is to pay your money to go to a movie because so much went into that production. It was just yeah. unreal, you know. And we were only on a tiny, tiny bit of it. You know, we were in like sort of 15 minutes of the movie and it was three months of... Three months of work for... Oh, they masterpieces. Three or four hundred people, you know, just you, on set. Can you see yourself in yeah, the film? I can, yeah. But not as much as you can see my wife. You see me very, very small, kind of on the battlements at Helm's Deep. And then just after you see me, my wife's face takes up the entire screen. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, and she was kind of like, a still of her was an Empire magazine. And so she's kind of like the, one of the most celebrated extras of all time, probably. Uh, so she was um, actually nannying at that stage for Peter Jackson's children. So... She was actually in a scene with them, hence, you know, the fact that she got the full screenshot and everything. Oh, inside our, track, our, eh? So we need to rewatch Two Towers, is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, so we're a yeah. second apart in the movie and we didn't know each other at the time. What? And, and it was filmed a year apart. So her bit was filmed a year after mine. Wow, that's oh my spooky. God, this is so... And, and then suddenly how it's cut together, and by the time it was cut together and it went to the movies, 
we had met by that stage, but we hadn't started dating or anything. And then when the last movie came out, Return of the King, we had started dating. So do you, you think know, Peter Jackson was involved? I got to go involved? to the premiere of you know this Return is so of the King. Cool. Yeah, that's a mad story. Yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So that was like you know the summer of just mucking about really. Well, I didn't muck about at all actually because I worked twelve hour days. Yeah. Well, you ran about in costume and slept, that, and slept all day. Yeah. 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 But it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then after that, I got a. Uh, a job which kind of ended up becoming my career, I guess. Uh, and that was like going back to the decision analysis type stuff. I got a job in um, public health in New Zealand and started off in sort of an area that looked after kind of all the payment, subsidy payments for like a lot of the public health services uh, and then slowly moved into more clinical kind of areas. Mm. So I worked... We're pr- still miles away from beer. Yeah, I worked... We were closer to beer at the start. You were playing golf. I'm going yeah. to now open going, a beer so you might be able to I, hear we it. Are, I warn you, we are placing some beers onto the table. This is the Engelberg Pumpernickel, also one of the best named ever singers. Distant Sun, which... Uh, explain that picture to me. It's got a picture of... It, it almost reminds it's me... Like never Icarus. Mind, a naked man with wings. Icarus. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people actually think that's Sam, you know, the co-founder of Eastie Boys on there. The Engelbent Pumpertick is 9.2%. If you've never drunk a 9.2% beer before, I one beer can send me absolutely loopy. Okay, drink We're, it slowly. This is a 7.2%. Drink it slowly. So, you know... Yeah, so, and then, yeah, worked into the, uh, moved into the sort of clinical area and I worked right across, like, from, like, maternal and newborn care right through to, like, uh, some of the disease stuff like cancer and palliative care. And I spent the majority of my time working in communicable disease. So I worked with a team who are handling... Communicable disease means catchable, doesn't it? Yeah, viruses and bacteria and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so I worked with a team that's handled the New Zealand pandemic uh, response, you know, which is... Is quite cool to like, you know, my job there was always based on three, five, seven, ten year kind of plans. And suddenly they're doing stuff that's like matters every single day. So they've gone from kind of like folk musicians to like rock stars overnight. You know, it's uh, it's been pretty cool to watch. And, uh, you know, like often I'll see them talking on TV and I'll see a picture and see people I used to work with in the background and everything. Um, so it's been really cool and kind of made me miss it mm. quite a bit as well, you know. Because I always kind of like, I mean, part of the reason I moved into brewing was because I wanted a job that was kind of like uh, a little bit more interesting to talk about at dinner parties. Because when you mentioned metadata, <laughs> as good a people kind of like instantly start yeah. a new conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So you should try being a lawyer. You should yeah. try being an accountant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the word. <laughs> yeah. Andy Trump wins. Of, I, I couldn't believe you came up with a lawyer. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the conversation here would have been very different 15 years ago if you got me into interview me about my old job, that's for sure. Yeah. Now everyone wants to know everything about your job, you know, like what beers are coming out next and, you know, like, you know, yeah, what, yeah, it's what a big fun innovations are coming up and things like that. So, yeah, I did that for like 15 years and really, really loved it. Uh, and during that time, I actually started Yeasty Boys. I started a homebrew business first. I was really into beer, mostly through my dad, who was from Edinburgh. And when he left Edinburgh with my mum with two kids and moved to New Zealand, it was kind of one of the great brewing cities of the world. Yeah. It was decimated, you know, by mergers and everything after that. But, um, you know, everywhere he went, he would drink local beer, you know, just the other side of the city and stuff like that. And... So he did a little bit of home brewing and also when little, in the sort of late 80s and early 90s when little micro breweries and uh, brew pubs and stuff started to like spring up around the place, he would always go and visit them and he would often bring me along and I'd have like a half pint or early days I might have a sip of his beer or something and then like as, as I got a bit older I would like have a half pint with him or something. So I got a kind of taste for interesting beer and I always found like the mainstream beer really, really boring. I remember going into supermarkets in New Zealand because they were way ahead of the rest of the world in regards to, you know, having great choice of craft beers and everything. I remember going in one time to this one 
And I'd like, I knew the bear by there and I said, you guys need to put like a big sofa here because I can't make a decision. I no. need some time to That's like sit down and relax and kind of, you know, wonder what's going on here. Because I put, often put a sofa next to the bear. They're yeah. saying, they're like, get this man out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would often go in there and not choose anything because there was just too much choice. That's the case everywhere. It's It's got out of hand choice, you yeah. know. I love kind of like really well curated like menus and beer lists and wine lists and stuff like that. You know, instead of having a 17-page wine list, give me one page and give me some really good options. You, and know, you that- know, that's why all these things, and I, I did it at the start of lockdown, actually. I joined one of these clubs that deliver you like eight beers a month or something. And, and somebody else picks them for you. And then you just drink what turns up and you don't have to worry about it at all. I now have a flat full of beer because I kind of stopped drinking during lockdown and I've got hundreds of beers that I haven't drunk. We should have but a party. Quite a lot place, of yours. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, party. Need a party. I mean, beer always needs, there's so much variety now. It needs to give itself that credibility. It's still got this whole like, you know, I don't know, this male loutish. I, I mean, maybe that's the truth. It, it it's probably sexist, but I dr- I meet less women who like beer. You know, I don't know whether that's Oops. cultural. No, there's less. It's because I, I meet mean, loads pro- of women that probably, like beer, but yeah. I do work in the industry. So you do. You know, if yeah. what eight out of ten men drink beer, then I should think it's half that of women. My guess would be. You know, is that true? I don't know. You I know. think so. Yeah. I mean, I, we don't look at those kind of like you know big numbers and analyses like a lot of big businesses do. But yeah, we certainly notice it in the you know wider sort of uh, view of of the industry that we see. But interestingly, our web store is around 50-50 female to male customer base. We've like 66% of our staff are female as well. So I think part of the fact is that even though we have the name, you know, Yeasty Boys, which can seem a bit laddish or something, we uh, we promote ourselves as you know having a lot of women in our business in the business, and um, I think that really comes through in the kind of customer base that we've created. And and what made you come to the UK? You're you're there in New Zealand. It's like 470 million people within four hours of here, and you know in New so Zealand. So that was it. That yeah, was in the New Zealand, there's bigger like market. 15 million people within four hours. Yeah, so it was about the bigger market. We had been asked for quite a long time to like send beer here. Uh, you know, to export it, and we kind of ummed and ahed about it. We knew that it would potentially be, um, you know, like quite a one-off thing or maybe we'd send a couple of containers and people would buy it for a novelty but it wouldn't really have a sustainable um, price point. So uh, we sort of like, yeah, we put it off for a year or two when we were being asked and then we decided to, um, uh, we actually got invited to brew at a beer festival here uh, and... As a part of that, they were going to fly us over and we thought, let's if we're going to brew one-off beer for a beer festival, why don't we look at finding a brewery where we could brew our beer all year round here? Mm-hmm. So we did that. We came across, we brewed with Adnams up in Southwold in Suffolk. Uh, we brewed like 50,000 litres of our beer at that stage. That was like, you know, two-thirds of our annual production in New Zealand all in one day. And then, um, and then we spent like a week looking around the country and talking to people about the potential of brewing beer and just looking at the market and seeing where it was and seeing if there was potential. And we liked what we saw then. So we went back to New Zealand. Uh, I quit my day job because uh, I was still kind of running the business and had a day job at the same time. Quit my day job, put together a little bit of a business plan for how we would do it and then did some crowdfunding and raised 
half a million dollars in 33 minutes, which was quite good. Wow. This, is, nice. this is like the third crowdfunding New Zealand, I think we were. We did it on a thing called Pledge Me. And we chose Pledge Me because they kind of like had similar values to us. They're kind of like verging on social enterprise, founded by a woman who's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, again, most of their employees are female. Uh, and same with us, most of our employees are female. So Yeah, the crowdfunders in the UK, not much like that. No, no, I, don't, I wouldn't imagine. And it's the same in New Zealand. You know, the ones, the bigger and more successful ones are definitely, um, are definitely, you know, very based on sort of, you know, the classic type of man who raises money, yeah. What do you think um, within the journey of making beer anyway was your, your biggest fuck-up? Biggest fuck-up? Probably... Um, there's so many, like, you know. Pick one. Yeah. I mean, just talking about the crowdfunding thing, I think, um, you know, we probably should have gone for like two million was the max you could have done then. We went for 500,000. We probably should have gone for the two million because it was so successful. We probably would have easily got there. Yeah, but did you want to give away that equity? That's the, you know. I think, you know, because Sam and I are both accidental entrepreneurs, we probably never looked at the long game quite as well as we should have. Yeah. And... We had that opportunity there to really go for it and we ended up taking off, you know, a small chunk of money and then doing the classic thing that New Zealand businesses do, which is like really bootstrap and, you know, do everything massively undercapitalized. And if I went back and did it again, I would probably, um, you know, probably go for the big money. You didn't know it was going to be a success. No, though. no. Yeah, you I mean, have, I mean, it, it seems obvious in retrospect, but you just didn't know no, it was going to. Even on off. the day we were raising the money, I was like expecting to be like calling friends and family over the next couple of weeks. You know, pleading. It shows to you what you work. You worked your network well to do it in thirty-three minutes. Yeah, that means yeah. you made a lot of phone calls. But also, if you want to pick one plus point of crowdfunding, it's valuation. Yeah, yeah. it's the fact that you can you can command a price for your business that's out of all kilter with what you would do Reality. with a VC yeah, yeah. or with anybody <laughs> yeah. else. So you might yeah. as well make the most of it. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, we were pretty fair with what we did there, so... Maybe you were too fair. Yeah, maybe. It's interesting you even say you're an accidental entrepreneur. What do you think is uh, most uncomfortable about being in business or about being a business person? The whole business side altogether, you know, I'm the classic founder, you know, like I love the product and I love the industry and uh, I love the people I work with and I'm very creative and the business side of things often feels like it gets in the way Yeah, and you spend all your time on that area and to a certain extent I've loved, you know, learning about the business and, you know, I, I know so much more about, especially in New Zealand from you know, writing up all the crowdfunding documents and everything because Sam, my co-founder, just happened to be away for a couple of months during that. So, What a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so I did a lot of work. I did some, like, ridiculous hours, probably, you know, close to the hardest I've ever worked in my life um, when I was doing that. And learning all that sort of stuff was really interesting. You know, um, it's the kind of stuff that was so different to what you learn about business in university. It's admin. But, I mean, when you say you like to do the creative bit, you hate the business bit, you're almost saying business is bullshit. I mean, isn't that the pain in the ass? Like the deal is you have to do all this admin. How, yeah. how we do dress you feel up with that this and we put Well, I got myself a Sam. So, you know, ah, like my co-founder. Okay, so Sam does it. So we're a quite a good yin-yang in that regard. You know, Sam's very much into like, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and everything. And he does all that stuff really well. They're hard to find, Sam's. Yeah, they They're are. Few and far between. And I... And, and, and they have to put up with a crazy entrepreneur. Yeah, they have to do a, hey, man, let's just do some fun stuff. See you later. <laughs> you know? Exactly. That's kind of, that's, I mean, if Sam was here now, <laughs> he'd probably wet himself because he's like seen that so many times. Yeah. yeah. The amount of times that it's, I've come to him with an idea that's then taken me like three months to, you know, convince him that it is doable. And then he sighs heavily and tries to make it work. 
I think the glamour of the business is just hilarious in reality. It's just admin. It's lots and lots of really annoying little tasks. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, yep. it's, and there's no way around them but delegation. No, and even now, yeah. you know, 13 years down the track, I'm still chasing pallets now and then that go missing or oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. something like that because when our operations manager takes some time off, you know, it has to fall on someone and we've got a very small team. So usually everyone's job falls back on me. But what's the uncomfortable truth? The uncomfortable truth is that, that there is all this shit you've got to do and you just got to face it, I guess. Yeah, you know? exactly. Unless you're really, really big, you can never sort of employ people to sort of look after other people's roles. You know, if you're the founder, you... And they don't like doing shit either. No, and when I arrived in the UK, I did... Everything, you know, so Fritha uh, did all the sort of artwork and everything, uh, obviously, but everything else around setting up the business, you know, I mean, I should have paid someone like you guys to do it rather than, you know, do it all myself because it took me ages to I do have that to kind say, of thing. my dear Kiwi class and got a couple going on at the moment, they insist on doing everything themselves when yeah. they set up in the UK. And honestly, I don't know how long it takes you to work it out, but... It's never worth it. I you I always end up having to fix some of it, which will always cost more than it would have cost at the time. But yeah. it's a great part of your culture, but at some extent, it's self um, uh, self harming or you know yeah it is yeah limiting. yeah because you're not spending the time on what you know is important. And for me, the important thing was here would have been you know networking, getting the beers you know made quicker than what we did because we sort of had delays on the fact that I was setting up the administrative side of the business you know, the beer all got pushed out a little bit. And so everything gets delayed because you've got one person trying to do everything. But what would you say the most misunderstood thing about being in business is? Is it that actually it's harder than you think? Yeah, it's like, you know, the everyone thinks I'm my own boss, but really I report to everyone else. <laughs> yeah. And the pandemic really kind of like brought that out a lot because not only are you a boss then, you're also like the uncle or something as well. I spend a lot of my time just like looking after the mental well-being of our staff. Everybody's and, dad. Yeah, because the key thing for me from day one was that I wanted to retain our team because we'd just built a team to a place where I was like really happy with it and I thought we could do really good things last year. And then all of a sudden the industry kind of stops and it's tracks. And I thought, I want to keep this team together. I really like them. I think they're going to work really well together. So whatever we can do to make sure that they're happy um, and that they're being looked after and they're being well communicated to. You know, I knew a lot of people who worked for breweries who got put on furlough, didn't hear from anyone for like six months. Not a single thing. We had like every Tuesday we had uh, a, a, like an actual work type meeting. And then every Friday we had like a couple of drinks um, for anyone to come along and just have a chat and have some sort of social interaction. And I kind of thought that people wouldn't because they'd have their own thing going on. In the end, like everyone was there every Friday and it went from being sort of an hour and a half to like sometimes going for three hours or something like that. People would be making dinner and still kind of chatting and stuff like that. And we became like a really tight unit during that time. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy-to-read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients, and if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts. Dominic Frisby sat down with Andy Ori and Mike Darby to talk about online cloud accounting. I think the base point is that you put stuff in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere at any time on your mobile phone, at your computer, at your desk. Why have it fixed to a location? 
It's a huge advantage to put stuff in the cloud. It means that a small mobile phone with a browser can have the computing power of an enterprise system anywhere in the world. What it then is leading to is information is becoming real time, is being entered as you go, not historically. And then the third thing that you're talking about is that as you get into that position, that anyone can plug into it, anyone can see this data, anyone can access this data, and this data is real time. The revenue want to tax it, and the revenue want to access it. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What do you find most difficult about what you do and how do you deal with that? Yeah, so the most difficult thing for me, I think I mentioned, is like there's that uh, fine line, and I know this was interesting for Sam as well, is that fine line between work and pleasure and work and family and things like that because a lot of our shareholders are family and friends. And you also work with Fritha. Yeah, I work with my wife um, and there's also, um, yeah, she can be a bit upset if I don't like it. We like art. the designs. If I don't like the artwork or something. We do yeah. like the designs Luckily a lot. a lot of people like them, yeah, and I do as well. But um, I'm worried that this looks like Matt Hancock, but apart from that. Uh, we, we, I'm trying to work out the toast. What is the toast? That's the picture of Engelbert. Um, Humperdink, Humperdink on, on the, the toast. toast, yeah. Because they thought like Jesus kind of thing. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Got it. Yeah. Maybe I should have that one. Yeah. No, I, I, I should leave that for you guys. No, no, no. no, no I've no, got no, this no, one. No, I'm having this one. It. You've got to try that because it's like, you know, that's yeah. a special beer. Yeah, the, the, I think the um, yeah the fine line for our industry, especially because, you know, it's it's beer, it's very social. As I say, shareholders are family and friends. You know, a lot, well, a lot of them are the um, our staff, you know, are friends and family. Sam and I were very good friends from about 18 years old, so we founded the business together. Oh, really? And you, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And so you go through, you know, a lot of growing pains around that kind of stuff. And often you sort of ask yourself, like, when did we last hang out as friends? Great yeah, thing about Sam. Question. Great thing about Sam as a business partner that him and I would, you know, like finish work and go to the pub and immediately go off, to off work, we'd go into friend mode and talk about cricket. It depends on the person. I've worked with a lot of my friends and I have fallen out with some of them. And and it, it yeah, it's a really individual thing whether you can do, some people it's natural like that. You walk yeah. out of work, you're back to normal as it were. I would say it always changes though. Something always changes, do you know what I mean? But yeah. if you had good banter, you can do that. It is know? really difficult. I mean, I've seen scenarios where, you know, the the husbands' wives were each other's bridesmaids and all that kind of thing, and now they don't speak. Yeah, you know, I it can when it goes be wrong, a disaster. It really goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. In that scenario, because you know your friends become your enemies quite quickly. But if it works, it works brilliantly because you're working with somebody that you know really well, you get on with, and you you know what each other's thinking a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit like the opposite of love isn't hate; it's indifference. And the truth is, love and hate are very closely related. You can flip between them. Yeah. Easily, you know. Yeah, no, that's bang on. That's a really good analogy. So what are we looking forward to in the next sort of 12 months? What are you excited about? We're going to be everywhere because we've taken on this new distribution partner, obviously. Yes. So our beer will be... well aware. Yep, beer will be everywhere. They Um, are uh, like a... They're in a set of cards. Can we say their name? Are we allowed to to say who they are? Yeah, you're allowed to say who they are. Kingfisher. Yeah, or KBE drinks. So yeah. Yeah. 
Our producer's clapping as uh, one of the British Indian community. Yeah, so KBE drinks, which is, yeah, Kingfisher Beverages Europe, I think was yeah. the sort of where yeah. KBE came from. So they do a bunch of different stuff. And we started working with them a few years ago on a Japanese rice beer we did um, because they do a lot they of... They sell that in my Japanese in Slough. Excellent beer. There's a Japanese in Slough. I, it's the only good, good place hold. to go in Slough. Sorry, Pizza Express, you come a mediocre second. Yeah, and they sell your Japanese rice beer, although they've currently run out as of Monday. All right, well, there should be more coming soon, I hope. Yeah, so they do a lot of kind of lagers based around different countries and things. So someone put us onto them. They start to actually, they manufacture it and sell it under license now. So we don't sort of handle that at all. I get to taste each batch as it comes out to make sure that Just to they're make on sure. top of things. But yeah. um, other than that, they manage it all. And during that process, they kind of like said, hey, we really like the Yeastie Boys brand. Would you be interested in doing something with us? And we said, yes. And they left it to kind of get the Japanese rice beer going off. Kumi Biro is the name of that, by the way. Uh, and then six months later or something after that had sort of kicked off, they came along and said, hey, look, we're, you know, would you be interested in investment? We'd be interested in distributing a beer, but also would you be interested in investment? And we were like, well, actually we're looking and we've already talked to a few people, but we kind of like, you guys fit the bracket of what we're kind of looking for. They're probably a bit smaller than what we were originally looking for, but in the end, I think it That's was quite a, nice in a way. Yeah, it was a much better, a much better option for us in the end. Because as I say, when you talk to a lot of big breweries and things, you're talking to someone who's like three or four rungs down the ladder from the top, mm. and the decisions have to go through multiple people. Where we were just chatting with their senior management team and their CEO, yeah. nice, and all the meetings. So, you know, they could guarantee decisions being made, you know, in meetings rather than, you know. I'm sorry, else. yeah. The bigger they get, the wankerier the process. Yeah, yeah. Probably the wankier of the lawyers too, isn't it? By the time you go, right, or oh, is that not fair? No, no, it is slightly fair. It sort of depends whether they have their own in-house lawyers. Is that bad? They're the wankiest of They're them They're the all. worst. Yeah. You've got one thing that you can change in the future. What's it going to be? Uh, change in the future? You can you can go in, as in the next five years within dramatic reason. as you like about that one. Yeah, next, next oh yeah. So years. yeah, when I thought about this one earlier today, I was thinking about one of the things that really bugs me is I worked in an industry that really really took off. You know, like yeah. craft beer really took off about sort of started to take off about ten years ago, and here in the UK about five years ago really took off. And so there's there's a lot of immaturity in the way people run their businesses and everything. And you have a lot of people taking advantage of people who work for them. So I'm really, really um, careful with our staff. I have an aspirational sort of goal that everyone who starts working for us, I'd like for them to work for us for the rest of their life. I'd like for them to have an opportunity to find a role. I'm not evolving... sure that's how millennials work. No, but no. It's a, well, we're a not millennials, goal. which is good. Yeah. yeah. So we're all a bit older than yeah. that. Yeah, the old That's why we only hire old people. I think that's a lovely aspiration. I, I'd, I'd love to, I mean, we're a partnership, so that's kind of how we think. But... Yeah, for several reasons. One is that, you know, obviously um, if they're really happy in their job, they're going to do a good job and we're going to keep them on and, yeah. you know, they're going to get really good at it. We're never going to have to train other people up for it and things like that. You know, these are very aspirational. You know, we know they're not going to happen, but I think if we start off on that footing, then... It's, um, you know, it's lovely. at least we can yeah. give it a good go. Feels like a proper family. Yeah, and I want them to become shareholders in the business and things like that. And, you know, you're always going to have difficulties around some of this stuff and trying to keep people on, like that kind of thing. And also there'll be people who just evolve to a point where there's no longer a role for them because they want to go further than... You yeah, know, what we you have can't available. take them that extra mile and they no, want more than you can give them. But we would always, you know, we're happy to like set them free and let them, you know, go and do whatever Be it is they need to do else. as well, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I see, I see the opposite in most businesses is that they just like take on people and they just like chew them up and spit them out. They treat everyone like they own the business. So, you know, 
it's kind of like, if you can't come in to work on Saturday, you better not come in on Sunday either. It's kind of, you know, expected to be working seven days a week. You know, there's With no... great power comes great responsibility, man. You know, if you own that business, you're the one that has to come in on the Saturday and the Sunday. Yeah, there's no... And that's okay if you own the business and you, you know, you're benefiting from... But not if you know, you're a junior member of staff. Or, why the hell should you? No. So we're like really clear with our staff that, you know, if they do work on a Saturday, they take time in lieu you know, big on all sorts of things to look after them so that they'll want to stick with us. I think of, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship Completely. and it has to be. And I see the opposite of that and um, and I'm sure it's the same in lots, especially in the creative world where people are clamoring to get jobs. Where do you find the difficulties in that? So that's, a, it's a great point in theory and it's right in practice, but there's a concept that people say like, oh, you know, if you give, then people always want. So you could think of examples where, I think the, the what you gave was a great example. Say, I want you to work here for life. I don't think you should be as responsible as I am because you're not an owner. But are those the principles or are there like one other more or something? Because when you get into down into the weeds of like being too nice, that can cause really un you know, un, un you know, good deed never goes unpunished. Can you be we too say, nice? You know? You think you can? Well, you, you, you def I've learned this over the years because I've come from a 20-year-old thinking, yeah, man, we need to do this, that, and the other. And I've seen things go wrong over the years that my dad said would go wrong. Like, so if you, it's just a simple example. If you give someone a bonus, you say, I'll give you a, I'll give you a massive bonus because this year you fucking done the Killed job. it. People expect it next year. Or no one is ever happy with their pay rise is what I've experienced. It doesn't really matter what you give them. They're never happy. And so there's a different quality that um, my granddad used to explain, which is kind of like, you might, if you pay people too much, then they don't leave, but they also become lazy. If you, if you pay them too little, that upsets them. So you have to pay them the right amount, which is very hard to work out because what's the right amount? So, I mean, I guess I'm just pushing your ethics on that a bit. It's like, I want to be a good boss, but where, which problems have you, would you say, look, it's really those principles. I want you to work for life. I want you to think not responsible. I want to look after you. But how far do you go? You know what I'm asking? Yeah, you've got, I mean, that's the key thing where you have to have like, you know, clear accountabilities that people have in their job and what they do. And I've said to all our staff, you know, if you can do all your job in, you know, half a, half a week, that's great. You know, if you're hitting your, hitting your goals, we're not worried about, we're not like watching people when they start and when they How finish. How do you know whether they've done them? You can measure productivity quite easily, can yeah, you? Yeah, we can see we can see what's going on and where we're tracking on certain things. So the key thing for us really is that, you know, we're achieving all our goals. We're in good communication with our team. We know that they're kind of committed to what's going on. So there's some quantitative and some qualitative stuff that, you know, goes on. Come on, give us a good piece of advice. We need the, the benefit of your wisdom. A good piece of advice? Yes, um, please. Be kind to your mum. Oh, that is yeah. good, man. Yeah. Ding. Best answer. Yeah. I think, you know, if you just cut that down to being kind is um, really useful. As you can tell from our overall philosophy, it's um, I don't believe in karma in any kind of like spiritual sense, but I believe in that the idea that good things will come back to you, you know, if you do good things. And we've seen it time and time again that people who we've helped out at some point come back to help us or people will help us out because they heard we helped out someone else or something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and little, just little things, you know, you get put in touch with someone because someone they know has heard that, you know, you did a good thing or something like that. So what about top three podcasts other than this one, obviously? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a huge podcast listener, but I've there's um, the first one I used to listen to a lot was All Songs Considered. I'm really into music, and that's NPR, like American Public Radio, yeah. and 
it's absolutely fantastic. You know, like a really great mix of, you know, music. They do one pretty much every week, I think. NPRs the people who do Tiny Desk, aren't they? Is that the same people? They do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's who fucking NPR is. Yeah. I've been trying to work it out. Yeah, they're okay. great. I mean, their whole music range all up is great. And, like, you know, if you're into any type of music, they do that as well. They've got a whole classical kind of wing oh, the of their... Tech 9 Tiny yeah. Desk is the best 10. Uh, and then another one is um, Modern Love, New York Times, and that's, like, fantastic. So it started off as a column in the New York Times uh, where people would write in and tell a little story, a love story, and it could be, like, about how someone met or it could be about... You're romantic underneath. He's best, not, it's not underneath. It's yeah. right up yeah. top. The best one I yeah. ever heard was actually like a, a guy who wrote a love story to his dog, this dog that he had. It's just oh. absolutely fantastic. He, he just told the whole story of like how he came up across this dog, how he got it, how it lived with him, how it kind of like changed the way he lived. Uh, and then, of course, how it died and, and he's got another dog now. But absolutely <laughs> beautiful. And every every everyone who's done it, I mean, you find that almost everyone who's written them, they're they're actually writers or something. You know, they're all kind of yeah. professional writers. They're not just, you know, someone like me who kind of like pens something, you know, in their spare time at work uh, and tells a little story, you know. So they're all really beautifully written. They're always read out by, um, you know, fairly well-known actors and things as well. So like the- That re- sounds amazing. Yeah, really, really great. So I listened to that quite a lot during um, the lockdown. And then another one, which is kind of like even further delves into like a relationship things, which I think, you know, really important in business as well. This one's more about sort of personal relationships, although she's gone into a lot of workplace relationship stuff stuff recently is Where Should We Begin by Esther Perel. She's like a Belgian-American relationship counsellor originally, but um, she's gone way into sort of relationships right across the board through business and all sorts, yeah. Those are some surprising choices. If you had to pick your favorite musician, is it is it the Cure? What's it? Or if you had to, you know, you're stuck on your desert island. Who's in the top three? Well, I've picked instead of reads because you said top three reads. I picked top three albums. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. I was about yes, to say exactly this. Give yeah. us your Come music, on. man. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I I picked As Days Get Dark, which is a a recent album by a band called Arab Strap, who are Scottish. They're from like Falkirk originally. Rock or, is it? Yeah, or? Glasgow. So they were around like mid-90s to mm. mid-2000s and then they've just released this album this year. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, the band's called Arab Strap. Strap. Arab Strap, yeah. Kind of made infamous by a Scottish band called Bell and Sebastian who did a yeah, album yeah. called The Boy with the Arab Strap. But the, there's a band called Arab Strap uh, and they were kind of like in the same kind of circles at the time. So they're kind of Bell and Sebastian-esque? No, they're kind of like a little bit uh, darker and more broody and the music is a bit more kind of like a, a little bit sort of shoegazy, the music, and then uh, the lyrics are kind of like really great, kind of like um, songs about lost love and, you know, um, hangovers, drugs, you know, all, all the sorts nice. of things, you know, yeah. that, that I would have been in in the 90s and 2000s. And then the next one is um, uh, an album called Teenage Snuff Film by Roland S. Howard, who's probably most well-known for, he was in a band called The Birthday Party, which kind of yeah. morphed into Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah. And... That was the last gig that I saw pre-lockdown, so back in March last year. Yeah, so Roland S. Howard, he died probably about 10 years ago or something, but um, all of his old bandmates and friends and stuff do these tribute shows to all his music every few years. And I've seen one in Australia years ago, and then they did one here on like South Bank Centre in London, uh, and it was great. So all his old bandmates, including Mick Harvey, Nick Cave, Bobby Gillespie was wow. there, Lydia Lunch. There's like this fantastic kind of array of musicians 
And then number three is Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Man alive, that's brilliant. Is that when he does Let's Do It? The, what is it? Come, relax, do don't it. do it. Yeah, relax, yeah, yeah. Is that on that? But it's that, just the whole album is great. Edgy, it's like, a great energy. kind of concept two album. It's two fun. tribes, yeah. And then he's got... Um, two tribes go to war. You don't have to say it. A couple of, the best, couple of the best covers of all time as well. They do Born to Run on that. Uh, they do it. Uh, a what, the, um, brilliant, Springsteen. Brilliant cover of Born to Run. Better than the original, I think. Oh, man, that's a... So I'm not even like a massive Springsteen fan, but the but Born to Run real. is a this song, is, This man. is it's my real so teenage. Raw. This is... Yeah, and do you know the way to San Jose? They do that as well? Not the same as Am- uh, Amarillo. Uh, do you know your way to Amarillo? No. No, it's some sort of lounge crooner or something. It'll be, yeah. Okay, so that brings us to our favourite part of the show, the business versus bullshit quick far round. D, cue the music. This is where we reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether you think it is business or bullshit. So, Stuart, are you ready? I'm ready. Diversity quotas. Bullshit? Yes, correct. Ding. (laughs) Oh, I'm not happy about that. Stand-up meetings. Business. Coffee. Bullshit. Mm, good answer, especially from a beer company. Especially a beer company that makes a tea beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, agendas. Business. Mm. Hour-long meetings. Bullshit. <laughs> Office dogs. Business. Uh, correct, correct. I've got to say that. I've got two dogs in my office every day, yeah. You had to say that because of Andy and his office dog. My two office dogs are 80 kilos combined, so. Wow, what yeah. are they? Greyhounds, giant greyhounds, wow. yeah. Oversized greyhounds. Uh, slogans in the workplace. Bullshit. I agree. Damn straight. Yeah. Swearing in meetings. Business. Yes. Totally fucking great. Yeah, now this one, there is only one answer that can keep your job alive. Pub lunches. Business. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Board minutes. Board minutes, like B-O-A-R-D. Yeah, as in like things you're supposed to keep. Or even B-O-R-E-D. Definitely, definitely business. Yeah, I'm a director. It has to be business. Now, it'll be interesting your answer on this one. NDAs. Non-disclosure agreements. Uh, business, but you know, we've done so many negotiations without them, yeah. And I've just like blabbed my mouth all around town. Acronyms, uh, bullshit. <laughs> Back of the net, exercising, bullshit. <laughs> D's gonna get upset by that one. Formal work clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing, I'm wearing oh, shorts I mean, and a t-shirt. Just because you don't adhere to it, do you think the entire practice is bullshit? I do, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I was actually going to say... Embarrassed in this for shirt the, now. For the business you get put off by your accountants in shirts? Is that you'd prefer me in casual? No, I'm like, I'd feel, I'd, I would feel very uncomfortable with an accountant in casual. Yeah, yeah exactly. So just because they're like, wearing a tie. Yeah, even more so if they had a hat on, and like a yeah, cap. Yeah, sorry, that's for the lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forget what I look like. Oh, 
Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, podcast, book, whatever you want to pitch. Off you go, Stu. I have to pitch my company, of course. Of course you do. So we're Yeastie Boys, obviously. We're from New Zealand, but brewed in the UK. So New Zealand accent, locally brewed. We're open, we're honest, we're irreverent, as you probably worked out tonight. We're all about the flavour of the beer, of course. But we're interesting. We're the world's smallest multinational. Money is not going to a big multinational when you buy our beer. We're a living wage employer. We're interested in living hours employment as well. We've got 66% of our staff is female. And we've removed 12,000 miles of food transport by coming here to brew our New Zealand beer rather than shipping it from the other side of the world. Fantastic. We're exactly 66% women too. That's very bizarre. Well done. Was that 30 seconds, D? Almost exactly. Okay. Hang on. What's living hours? So that's the idea of um, making sure that your staff are not working beyond, you know, like hours that they can live on properly and that they can then have enough time to spend. So it's developed by the same people that did the living wage. And they're moving into an idea of, you know, ensuring that people have enough time to spend with friends and family and stuff That's like that. That's a great idea. Yeah. Stop yeah. writing that down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Great stuff. So, Stuart, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, what's the best way for them to do that? All the usual social media channels, obviously. Our website, eastyboys.co.nz, where you can also buy the beer. But, you know, Google's your friend, generally. We, um, if you search for Yeasty Boys, we generally will be at least the first few options that come up. Excellent. Uh, so there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Stuart for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with another episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S, where you'll find more useful business content. Until next time, it's cheerio. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at auriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com or via our website. Ori Clark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.